that? Well, we're still in our uh, studies in the book of Acts, the Acts of Jesus Christ through his apostles. And this will be part number 18 of our studies. And tonight, Lord willing, we're going to look at Acts chapter 7, verses 1 through 18. Acts chapter 7, verses 1 through 18. And I'm going to go ahead and read the, those 18 verses and then, and then expound upon them a few at a time. And so you can just remain seated. It's quite a bit of reading. Acts chapter 7, starting with verse 1, the Bible says, Then said the high priest, Are these things so? And he said, Men, brethren, and fathers, hearken. The God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he dwelt in Charan, uh, and said unto him, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and come into the land which I shall show thee. Then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans, and dwelt in Charan, and from thence when his father was dead, he removed him into this land wherein you now dwell. And he gave him none inheritance in it, not no, not so much as to set his foot on. Yet he promised that he would give it to him for a possession and to his seed after him, when as yet he had no child. And God spake on this wise, that this, his seed should sojourn in a strange land, and that they should bring them into bondage and entreat them evil four hundred years. And the nation to whom they shall be in bondage will I judge, said God, and after that shall they come forth and serve me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision, and so Abraham begat Isaac, and circumcised him the eighth day. And Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat the twelve patriarchs. And the patriarchs, moved with envy, sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him, and delivered him out of all his afflictions, and gave him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he made him governor over Egypt and all his house. Now there came a dearth over all the land of Egypt, and Chanan, uh, and it's Canaan, but it's it's spelled differently in here in the uh, the way it's spelled in the Greek. In great affliction, and our fathers found no sustenance. But when Jacob heard that there was corn in Egypt, he sent out our fathers first. And at the second time, Joseph was made known to his brethren, and Joseph's kindred was made known unto Pharaoh. Then sent Joseph and called his father Jacob to him, and all his kindred, threescore and fifteen souls. So Jacob went down into Egypt and died he and our fathers, and were carried over into Shechem and laid in the sepulcher that Abraham bought for a sum of money of the sons of Emor, the, the father of, of Shechem. But when the time of the promise drew nigh, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt till another king arose, which knew not Joseph. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word tonight. Help us now as we try to preach. God, keep this tongue from stammering and stuttering tonight lord preach through me help me father in jesus name amen pray for me tonight i don't know why i can't uh, hardly talk good tonight for some reason <clears throat> well we pick up here in our studies from i guess it's been two weeks now since we were in this text and uh, last time we examined the character of Stephen, we were really focusing upon his character. And we saw how the Jews had disputed with him concerning what he was teaching and preaching. Well, the Bible says they could not resist his wisdom as he was speaking to them and explaining the things of the Lord. And so they had to bring in men to make up things about him, lie against him, give false accusations against him so that they could put him on trial before this Sanhedrin court that he's now up up against. 
Now, as the council was looking at him, the Bible tells us there, after they were accusing him, they saw, as it were, the face of an angel. And we went into some detail about what the Bible says about faces of angels throughout the, the scripture. And that's where we pick up uh, tonight, after they looked upon him and saw his face as it was an angel. And so we pick up there where the council is steadfastly looking upon him. Now, the first 53 verses of this particular chapter, chapter 7, deals with Stephen's defense, but more precisely the, the defense of the gospel. Not, not really defending himself, per se, but defending the gospel and the truth of it. And then verses 54 through 60 describes his death. Um, there's no way we can cover this entire portion in one evening study. So tonight, as we look at these uh, 18 verses, uh, keep in mind uh, that this, this chapter deals with many things. As Stephen, really, it's a, it's a, it's a sermon uh, he's preaching to these men. So look at verse 1 again. It says, Then said the high priest... Are these things so? So as he's here before this council, uh, and the accusation, remember, is blasphemy. They've accused him of blaspheming against the temple and against the laws of Moses. So trying to do away with the laws of Moses. Uh, the high priest asked him this question, are these things so? So in other words, did you really say and do you really believe that this Jesus is going to destroy the temple and change the laws of Moses? Is that what you're telling us? Is that the truth? And so that's the question they've proposed to him. So what does he do to defend the gospel and the truth of Jesus? He starts uh, out in verse 2, and he said, Men, brethren, and fathers, hearken. So notice that he's addressing the council with the proper respect. Uh, he's, he's wanting them to listen to him, so he's not going to defend them immediately off. So he wants to, he wants to put them in the same uh, he wants them to understand he is in the same way they are. He's a Jew himself. He knows all these things that they know. And so he's going to start going down the line through what we would call the Old Testament. Uh, but going down through their history, uh, uh, talking about certain things to make them understand uh, how things are. So I know that sounded confusing. I, it even confused me saying it. <laughs> but... Uh, Stephen is addressing this council the way he needs to, to get their, their uh, respect, uh, to um, get them to listen. So he calls them men, brethren, and fathers. Uh, so he's identifying with them by calling them brethren. And uh, they're looking at him as a traitor. He's a traitor to Judaism. He's a traitor to Moses. He's a traitor to the temple. He's a traitor to all everything that they've ever believed in. And so... Uh, he identifies with them being a brethren and them being fathers. And so this is going to cause them to look at him as one of their own instead of some kind of outsider. Now, if he was somebody like, uh, you know, from a, a different place that wasn't a Jew that came in there, they wouldn't listen to him. And so notice that all through this, his character remains intact. Uh, it's spotless. There's nothing he ever does out of character, even though this is a what we would call a kangaroo court. Uh, it's just, it's silly what they've done. And we should take notice of how he maintains his composure and how he behaves himself in front of this council, even though he's being falsely accused, even though he really doesn't have to answer for these things because he's done nothing wrong. Uh, but he, tr he, he behaves himself in a certain way. And we as Christians need to behave ourselves in a certain way. 
when the world looks upon us, it should realize there's something different about us. You know, if you put us in a crowd of lost people, people should be able to identify us as Christians. We should not be exactly like those of the world. There should be a difference in Christians because there's separation, which we're going to talk about here in a little bit. There's a separation between the saved and the lost, and it should be be able to be identified in the world and by the world. They should see a difference. That's one reason I enjoy a nice church building with a, a nice steeple. And people say, well, it doesn't require a steeple to be a church. I know that. But you know what that does? That separates this building from all other buildings in Knoxville. People look at it and say, there's a steeple. That's a church right there. It's if house. We're not a, a, a liquor store. We're not a restaurant. Why? You simply look, well, it's built like a church ought to look. And I know they didn't have a church building in that day, okay? Understand that. But in the day we live in, separation, people, they can tell this is different. They expect things to be different. When they walk in the door, they expect it to be like a church. So that's why I really don't enjoy these churches that are now taking their steeples off. They're, uh, they're painting the outside to look like something besides a church. They don't want it to look like a church because they want the, the draw of the world thinking, oh, this is different. This is something else. You know, it's not like a church. You know, we're not like a church. Come on in. No, we want to be like a church because there is a difference. We are the, the foundation of the truth. And so uh, we need to be different. So Stephen's different. Christians ought to look different, ought to act different, ought to be different. And he chooses his words carefully here. Uh, and he says, our father Abraham. Anytime you want to get a Jew's attention, just mention the name Abraham. And you've, you've got their attention <laughs> because he is the end-all, be-all of, of the Jews. Um, if you remember over in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, when the Pharisees are disputing with Jesus, and they make the claim in John 8 and 33, they say, We be Abraham's seed. We are the seeds of Abraham. They were so proud of that. And then further down that same chapter, the Pharisees make that claim again, Abraham is their father. John 8 and 53, Jesus uh or they, they say to him that uh, in John 8 and 53, Art thou greater than our father Abraham, which is dead? And the prophets are dead? Who makest thou thyself? And so they were very proud of, of being seeds of Abraham, or descendants. And so Stephen makes sure he mentions father Abraham uh, to keep their attention. And uh, Abraham was, after all, he was the, the beginning of the Jewish race. Abraham himself, you wouldn't really consider him a Jew. The Jews in name wasn't until later on. But Abraham is the beginning of that. He's the catalyst behind it of the Hebrews. Uh, he's one that crossed over. He's uh, of Eber. So uh, there is a twofold lesson here uh, that we're trying to get through God's word. You see, first of all, is the lesson of Stephen's character how he behaves himself in front of this council, and uh, how he conducts himself as a Christian. But then you also have another um, uh, truth out of this, is he is also showing them the faith of Abraham and what Abraham did. Abraham, uh, by faith, stepped out and did these things. He was not uh, what you would consider a Christian when God called him. And so look at uh, verse 4. Then came he out of the land of Chaldeans and dwelt in Charon, and from thence, when his father was dead, he removed him into this land wherein you now dwell. 
And so he continues with the story of Abraham and tells how Abraham was obedient to God. And uh, Abraham, he came out of the land of Chaldeans, and uh, then he went into the land of Canaan. And I keep messing up that word there. Uh, Anyway, Uh, and so God had, had made promises to Abraham, and Abraham, out of faith and obedience, obeyed God. And uh, God told him he'd multiply a seed, that he's going to give his descendants all these things, even though he'd had no child. And so by faith, Abraham, knowing he doesn't have any children or descendants at the time, did it anyway. He stepped out and he left the land that he lived in and, and uh, went, to the land of Can- went to the land of Canaan. And so God called Abram out of a land of idolatry. It wasn't a Christian place. It wasn't a godly place. It, they, were, they worshiped idols there. Abraham was not a godly man when God called him. He was not. Uh, He was not seeking after God. He was a pagan idol worshiper. His family was that way. He came from a family of idol worshipers. And so it's entirely, this is another uh, truth that we need to get from the scripture. It's entirely by God's grace that he called Abraham out of that. He called Abraham out. The same as if you're saved, he called you out of this world of sin, called you out and separated you. And that's what he's done with Abraham. So he's, he went from being a, a pagan idol worshiper into one that, uh, that uh, loves God. And so it's God's grace that did that. And that's what God's grace does for us. God separates us and calls us out. Romans 5, 8, but God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Same way that uh, he called Abraham out of that, uh, that pagan place. And so Abraham's not any different than you and I. He wasn't seeking after God. And uh, the Bible tells us that, you know, there's no good thing in us, in our flesh. There's nothing good. Listen to what the Bible says. Romans 3 and 10 says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They were all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher with their tongues. They have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of, the, of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And so we see what kind of people that we are, but by God's grace, we are no longer. And so, you know, a lot of people believe that there's something special and deserve to be blessed by God. No, you're not. You don't deserve it. None of us did. But by God's grace, by his love, he saved us. And by our faith, we believed in him, and uh, we received him as as our Savior. And so, uh, just like Abraham, he didn't deserve it either. God chose him. God called him out. By his grace, he separated him. Verse 5 and he gave him none inheritance in it, no, not so much as to set his foot on. Yet he promised that he would give it to him for a possession and to his seed after him, when as yet he had no child. So there we were talking about that a while ago. Uh, Stephen brings, uh, brings up the fact that Abraham had no children, but God promised him all these promises. He was going to give him all his land and, and everything to his, uh, his descendants, and Abraham didn't have any children. And Abraham didn't think he was going to have children. Him and his wife didn't, didn't even have a clue that they would ever have children because they didn't think they could. But by faith, he steps out anyway. And so even uh, when he got to the land that God promised him, he didn't have an inheritance there. 
And so uh, he was constantly having to move around from place to place when he got over there where in the place that God had called him. And at times he'd have, even have to go back to Egypt. He'd have to do all kinds of things. Uh, so he never did have his own inheritance there, but yet his descendants did. Uh, it says there, uh, his seed after him. That's what it means, his descendants, his seed. Now, as Christians, we need to take notice of this. Uh, just because we're being obedient to God doesn't mean that everything's going to work out perfectly for you. You know, and a lot of times we expect it. We think, well, God, if I'm going to do this for you and, uh, you know, do it in your name, it looks to me like that everything ought to work out good. That I shouldn't have to go through any problems. Well, I'm sorry, that's not in the Bible. We find that men and women of God, he's called out to do things. They suffer. Most of the time they suffer. And, you know, a lot of people don't think that's fair. But uh, what's not fair is that God saved any of us. That's not fair. And so it's not about fairness. It's about God's grace and this, our obedience and our faith. And so we expect certain things when we do things. And some people won't do a thing if everything's not laid out for them. If they don't have a, a road map to follow, if they don't have this certain amount of money to, to fulfill whatever they're trying to do. So they won't do anything. They don't have the faith to just step out and start doing things for God. They want to wait. Well, God, I need to wait. I need to go back and bury my father. I need to do this and do that. He said, no, take, pick up your cross and follow me. And so uh, Abraham, he just went out and did what God told him to, even though everything didn't quite work like he probably wanted it to. And if everything worked out exactly as we desired it to work out and on our own timetable, we would miss out on God's richest blessings. Because when we follow God's plan and do things by his will and in our obedience to him, things always work out better. We get blessed. Not only do we get blessed, but other people get blessed because we were obedient. Uh, but we miss out a lot of times because we either strike out and do things all on our own without asking God or uh, whatever it is or refusing to do anything. If we refuse to do it, we don't get blessed for it, and nobody else does either. And uh, sometimes we make the mistake of following our own will instead of God's will. And uh, every now and then we think that we've done something. We've not done anything. If, if anything's happened, God's allowed it. Well, to the casual observer, it may seem that Stephen may be stalling for time by going over all this history. You know, maybe he's maybe he's trying to uh, stall for a while and uh, see if he can get out of this. No, that's not what's going on. Um, what he's doing, he's building a case, not only for himself, but a case for the gospel. He's actually trying to reach these men with the Lord Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, that, that sometimes is difficult to remember that uh, even though the kind of people they were, he would still desire for them to believe in Jesus as well. And so he's going through all these facts here. Um, he goes through this history, and uh, he goes all the way back and shows them the history of the Jews from the, from the very beginning all the way into the moment in time that they are in at that very moment. So in essence, it's the history of their Messiah that he's, he's giving and the establishment of the New Testament church. And he wants them to see that connection. Verse 6, And God spake on this wise, that his seed should sojourn in a strange land, and that they should bring them into bondage, and entreat them evil four hundred years. And the nation to whom they shall be in bondage will I judge, said God. And after that 
shall they come forth and serve me in this place? So he continues with the, the life of Abraham and his descendants and how by following God, Abraham did suffer. And his seed also suffered. Even though the great promises were out there for him, they still had to face trials and hardships. We do too. That's our learning process, by the way. That's when the, God takes the gold and he puts it through the fire and tries it and sees, sees what comes out on the other side. And you're either going to come out as gold or you're going to come out as draught and it's going to be just uh, nothing. And so he put them through the trials. They faced hardships. But God in his own time, as the Bible often shows us, is he will avenge his people. He will bring judgment upon those that's been against him. Look at verse 8. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham begat Isaac and circumcised him the eighth day. And Isaac begat Jacob and Jacob begat the twelve patriarchs. And so here we find an example here. Stephen's trying to show them that Abraham was separated. He was separated by God into the service of God. And uh, it says he gave him a covenant of circumcision. And, of course, Stephen is referring to the covenant circumcision that God had in, in place for Abraham. Genesis 17 and 10, This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. And so Stephen is just given a, a list of the patriarchs there, starting with Abraham, or Abraham's son Isaac, and then Isaac's son Jacob, who became Israel. And then his sons were the twelve tribes of Israel. I'm not going to try to recite over one of them because I'll mess it up if I do, but. Um, we know Joseph being one of them because he moves to Joseph uh, coming up. But uh, here we find that God separated Abraham. God separates us. We've already discussed it already some tonight. Uh, so um, now he's going to get into, look at verse 9, he's going to get into um, how God blessed even through all this. And the patriarchs moved with envy, sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him and delivered him out of all of his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he made him governor over Egypt and all his house. And so Stephen continues with this history lesson of the Hebrew people, which eventually would be known as Jewish people. And uh, he's showing this council how even the early patriarchs, they went through troubles and trials, even though they were God's chosen people. Uh, even Joseph, who was Jacob's son, Isaac's grandson, and Abraham's great-grandson, he had done no wrong. We don't find any wrong that Joseph had done. Um, some people say, well, he was showing off, talking about his dreams and everything else, but uh, the Bible doesn't say that. It doesn't ever show us anything uh, wrong that Joseph did. In fact, Joseph is a type of Christ. If there ever there was anybody in the Bible who was a type of Christ, it was Joseph. And so uh, Stephen's reminding them of him who was perfect, yet look what happened to him. But then God delivered him. God uh, rose him up, made him governor over Egypt and all of his house. And he became a great and mighty man in the, king, uh, the kingdom of Egypt. Verse 11. Now there came a dearth over all the land of Egypt and uh, Canaan and great affliction, and our fathers found no sustenance. But when Jacob heard that there was corn in Egypt, he sent out our fathers first. And so now he gives them the narrative of what happened while Joseph was governor of Egypt. 
And, of course, we all know the story. It's one of our favorites. We, we talk about it a lot when we were children. Um, uh, when the, the famine came and uh, Joseph was in charge of Egypt and his brothers came down and, uh, to get grain. And um, the very ones that sold him into slavery, um, there he is. Verse 13, and at the second time Joseph was made known to his brethren, and Joseph's kindred was made known unto Pharaoh. Then sent Joseph and called his father Jacob to him, and all of his kindred, threescore and fifteen souls. Now when we read this, we think, hmm, why is he bothering going over all this Old Testament history when he knows very well they know all this? I mean, they know this inside and out. Um, one thing you have to understand about the mindset of the Jew is that they love to talk about their their uh, history. They love to talk about it. And so um, this is holding their attention, but he's 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 trying to he's trying to make them understand things through it. And so the number one thing the Jews liked to discuss was their history of being God's people. They were very proud of that. Uh, it meant a lot to them. And Stephen knows this and he keeps bringing it up all the historical background he's holding their interest and in building this case uh, for the gospel, and as long as he keeps talking about the history of the Jews and Abraham and the patriarchs, he has their undivided attention. And he just has to keep doing it. Right, verse 15. So Jacob went down into Egypt and died, he and her fathers, and were carried over into Shechem and laid in the sepulcher that Abraham bought for a sum of money of the sons of Emor, the father of Shechem. But when the time of the promise drew nigh, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt till another king arose which knew not Joseph. And so we all know the story. Joseph gave, uh, forgave his brothers. Uh, they all came to live in Egypt, and his father eventually died. And uh, they buried him. And meanwhile, the sons continued to live in Egypt, even after the famine uh, passed. And they enjoyed life up until the new Pharaoh came in, and he didn't know anything about Joseph. And so things change drastically. And that's where that 400 years comes in, uh, that God said that they would be in bondage and captivity for 400 years. And that's exactly what happened there in Egypt. And uh, so just as we said when we, we began the lesson, Stephen's defense of the gospel will continue on throughout this chapter. And so there's really no good place to end it tonight, but we're going to end it right there and uh, in Lord willing, pick up in it next time. So let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the message tonight. I pray that it's been helpful. God, help us as we try our best to uh, understand your word, Lord, and, and the lessons you have for us, the truths that's in there. God, help us as a church, Lord, to, uh, to reach the lost, Lord, and to live the way a Christian should live, be separated from the world. God, help us on our way home tonight. Please keep us safe, Lord. Lord, please uh, help us remember all these folks we've been praying for, Lord. Keep them on our minds and hearts, Lord, so that we continue praying. And, Lord, we want to thank you for everything you bless us with. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.